0: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Sustainable Sleepover Club podcast. And remember, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram where you can stay updated on the podcast and engage with us. Before we head into this episode, we want to put out a very clear trigger warning as this episode will likely mention sexual violence. We will of course try to be sensitive as we talk about this topic. But if this episode isn't for you, that's absolutely okay. And there are 24 other incredible episodes to listen back to. Now I get to introduce our wonderful guest. So Gina Martin is a campaigner, speaker and writer who is an ambassador for UN Women UK and Beyond Equality. She has also created Gina's Ink Girls, which are beautiful prints that raise money for marginalized communities. She was upskirted in 2017 at the British Summer Festival summertime festival and after handing the guys and the picture into the police was told there was nothing to be done. So she launched a two-year legal battle with the government and her lawyer Ryan and changed the law in April 2019. She has also written Be the Change, which is a book with her advice on public speaking, changing the law, campaigning and much more. It is accessibly written because anyone can create change. Her TED talk is entitled, They Told Me to Change My Clothes. I Changed the Law Instead. Gina is a writer of the newsletter, The Good Chat, to create a space that is slower, more intentional than social media, and asks us to examine our beliefs, biases, feelings on social issues, and learn alongside her. She also does much more writing, interviews, speaking, and behind the scenes work. So Gina, how are you today? I'm good today, thank you. I'm feeling
1: positive. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course, we're delighted to speak to you. Um, So I'll head straight into the first question. And as always, all our guests, please answer in as much detail as you can, but also as much as you're comfortable with. Um, So can you tell us, first of all, what upskirting is for anyone who doesn't know and your experience of it in 2017 at the British Summertime Festival?
1: Yeah, so upskirting is the act of someone operating either video or photo equipment up your clothing of a place you would otherwise have private because you chose to cover it with your clothing. So for me, that was up my skirt. And in 2017, I was at a family festival with my sister called British Summertime, which is in Hyde Park, middle of the day. um, It's just a one-day festival. And we went to see The Killers. And I hadn't been in England for a while. So I hadn't seen my sister for a long time. He's my best friend. So we're really looking forward to like a day together. And um, I was in a crowd of 60,000 people waiting for the band to come on stage. I think it was about seven o'clock. It was, it was light. It was bright. It was like a lovely atmosphere. And there was a group of guys next to me, my sister, who were a bit older than me, and they were sort of making conversation with us and trying to like get our attention and making jokes and hitting on us. And I wasn't interested in that at all because I wanted to spend my day with my sister. Um, and I've been in a long-term relationship for many years as well. So I was like, leave me alone. Um, but I kind of was polite to them and I I kind of had a laugh and then I turned away. And it just continued to go on and on. And eventually, because I wasn't giving this guy the attention that maybe he felt he deserved in that scenario, he uh, made a really rude sexual joke at me. And I responded, annoyed, you know, and I kind of put him in his place. And then a couple of minutes later, I felt one of them brush up against me and I heard them all laughing. And I knew they were laughing at me, you know, and you have that feeling where you're like, oh, someone's laughing about me. I can just tell, even though I can't see it. And one of the guys was standing with his back to me and I looked around, you know, I, he was kind of holding a phone, but it was obscured because of his back. So I kind of looked around the side of him and saw that he was looking at a picture on WhatsApp of someone's crotch. And I realized it was my crotch. And I realized that one of the guys had put his hands up my skirt and taken a photo of my crotch and sent it to all of the other guys. Um, so I grabbed the phone. I don't, I don't really know why. I think just purely from a human being humiliated and wanting to get the phone out of his hands. I grabbed the phone and then I ran away. I ran off with the phone to the security through the crowd and a couple of people helped me get away. He chased me, which is very scary all the way there. And then I eventually got the, was able to talk to the police and they looked at the photo and they said, Oh, it shows more than you'd want it to show. But um, there's not much we can do. You won't hear much from us. And they didn't, I don't think they even kicked the guys out. We just carried on with the festival. And I was obviously absolutely humiliated and so scared of these guys. And I just had to pretend like it was normal. And then I went home and I looked into the law and I found out that upskirting wasn't a sexual offense, but it had been in Scotland for 10 years. And that was kind of the first time that I personally learned about upskirting was when it happened to me.
0: My God. And thank you so much for honestly, you know, sharing that with us. Um, yeah. Cause as you said, like there's so much emotion and with that. um, So I suppose, yeah, like our question was, how did you feel when you were told like in that moment that nothing could be done or when you found out that it wasn't a sexual offense and how did you go about then changing the law around that? You know what?
1: If I'm being really honest about how I felt, I was obviously devastated and upset, but I was more devastated and upset by what had just happened to me than I was by the reaction from the police. And the reason I say that is because throughout my whole teenage years and my early 20s, I was 25 when this happened. And there's definitely been too many moments where I was made to feel unsafe or someone had grabbed me at a club or some guy ju- screamed at me from a car or, you know, I had a stalking case for two years against a, a guy from my school and that was with the police and nothing happened. They didn't take it seriously. I had to explain everything to them. They dropped the case and I sent them 200 screenshots of him creating all these accounts of me and contacting my family and friends And so my experience with the police, and I know that this is an experience that a lot of women and marginalized genders have around sexual assault and harassment and violence, is that it isn't taken seriously enough. And so I can't say that when I went to the police on that day, I knew that they would go, right, we've got it. We'll take it super seriously and they would see it till the end. I didn't really actually have that much faith in that happening, but I did it anyway because it's the only safety net we have, right? It's the only thing we think we can do. So I was upset, but I wasn't surprised. and. When I went home and looked into the law, that's I think that's why I went so hard on changing the law because the police couldn't help me. The law couldn't help me. And then I put a picture up actually on Facebook because me and my sister were taking a selfie and the guy who'd upskirted me happened to be in the picture. We found it a few days later. And I put it on Facebook and Facebook deleted it because they said that I was harassing the guy by putting the picture up. But obviously him upskirting me wasn't technically harassment. So... You see that like time and time again, all these things that we're told to use that will make us safer are then don't work. So that's why I went so hard with the law change, because I thought, right, well, if, you know, the law can't help me, police can't help me. Social media isn't helping me. I'm just gonna have to do this all myself because this isn't right. You know, so I was really angry. And I think that's totally fair enough. I think we give a lot of people a really hard time for being angry. Girls aren't meant to be angry, you know. We're meant to be like quiet and polite and we're not. No, like we're allowed to be angry. There's so many things that happen that are unfair and that make us feel unsafe that it's okay to be angry. And that anger pulled me through the entire campaign. I'm actually really thankful for it.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. And definitely like you know, I think in general, emotions are what like, you know, drive us to action and to want change. But like some, like there's so many different emotions involved in that, whether that's, you know, um, a lot of the time it is anger and like absolute frustration. And, you know, in wrapped in that is, you know, love like for so many other women and um people and just general emotions, like we need to give those emotions space so that we can like use them as a catalyst so that it was really interesting. Respect them and use them. Definitely. Um, and then so often kind of cases of rape or domestic violence um are seen as kind of one-off and things like violence generally in society and our idea of masculinity and all those things are kind of seen as separate. And can you briefly explain why sexual violence um, and even something like upskirting is part of a system and a pyramid? Yes, of
1: course. So you're absolutely right. I think we we see so there's two ways of looking at things, right? You can look at the interpersonal, which is like person to person, me and you right now. So you can think in that way all the time. Okay, Amy said this to me and it wasn't fair, and that's sexist, right? Not that you did and you would never, but you see what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Or you can look at things structurally. So you can say, okay, there's all these interpersonal things happening, there's all these people interacting every single day, but they're reacting and they're living under a system that's been created for tens, hundreds of years. And that um, impacts how we think about people, how we react to people, how we think about topics in society. And so sexual violence is... Yes, an interpersonal thing. Violence is interpersonal, but it's also a structural thing. It comes from decades and decades of decisions, laws, policy. The way that we've set up and created our society has been more in favour of a specific type of person. So, you know, if we're looking at British history and we're looking at in the country that we live in, in our context, a lot of our society and all the powerful industries and systems in our society were created by a very specific Person, which was a powerful white man, right? And so it kind of it works more in the favor of powerful white men than it works in the favor of other people. And what happens when you have a society created by a specific type of person for a specific type of person is that um, perceptions of other people who fall outside of that fall into stereotypes. They fall into sexism. Women existing in society. As they've always been forced to exist, which is not to be able to have the same access and resources and opportunities as men through history, historically, it means that there's all these stereotypes and ideas about women, that they have to do certain jobs, that they have to live a certain way, that they exist for men, sexually, and all these other ideas. That we don't even really talk about but we see them through movies we see them through policies we see them in books we see them uh in the way our parents talk about or the way our parents talk to kids maybe they talk to girls slightly different than they talk to boys and all these things go into our heads subconsciously so that all comes from a system it's created it's designed um and sexual violence is part of that system so we talk about a thing called rape culture which is a pyramid and a spectrum and a, a framework of behavior and attitudes and you know at the bottom you have things like jokes sexist jokes banter stereotypes um uh seeing relationships and sex as a game instead of something that both people have as much power over and as much um uh, uh what's called autonomy over and then as you go up that pyramid those things that we've just mentioned become stepping stones for things that are more harsh and more overt and more violent and as you get to the top you get to what you've mentioned there things like rape but what you're seeing is is you're seeing interpersonal and structural things every single day that are like levers and pulleys of a machine that are always working we don't have to work them they're just there they've been there for you know decades and they're working all the time in favor of particular people and not in favor of other people and it's it's very very complex but masculinity sexual violence um, gender, all those things are part of a world where we've prescribed very, very specifically how people should be depending on their gender. So boys have to be brave and strong and dominant and women have to be submissive and they have to be this and that. And, and that just doesn't work because there's millions of us and we all have different backgrounds and religions and cultures and ideas and personalities. And so this kind of idea of gender, I think being so prescriptive is what is a, is a part of what leads to this kind of The issues we have now which is that people if we look at it very simply when we're talking about sexual harassment and violence we have a problem where lots of men believe that subconsciously believe that women's bodies are there for their consumption we have a problem where lots of men believe that femininity is for them and not just humanity in itself and that leads to things like upskirting and comments and all those other things on the rape pyramid that then can lead to violence so I think it's really important to be thinking structurally as well as interpersonally as much as we can.
0: Yeah. Cause in any of these cases and there are so many that, you know, come to mind, they're never one off. Like, uh, in, you know, it, it can't be a coincidence with, you know, such a pool in your mind to pick from, even in one person's one, like one person's experience of life. There are so many moments that can't be a coincidence. You know what I mean? No, it's
1: um, all connected, and we exactly. and we know that through like historical data, right? Like we know that most acts of violence, even if we're just talking in our context, context in our country, most acts of violence are overwhelming majority perpetrated by men. Now, why is that happening is a very big question to answer, but what we do know is that sexual violence is mostly perpetrated by men, and so there's something is happening some we're we're always looking at what's happening and we're never really asking why right we're like oh we've lost another woman and how awful because that should not happen and we never say hang on why are we losing so many women to domestic violence hang on why is sexual violence such a big problem hang on why is men's mental health such a massive problem are these linked we're never asking those questions Mm -hmm. and you're so you're right they're not these single stories they're many many symptoms of a very of the same problem which is a very big structural problem we have and a very big cultural problem we have i think with gender
0: yeah, absolutely. And, um, then since kind of changing the law and since a lot of your meeting work kind of then, um, you kind of moved away or talked about moving away from kind of inca- thinking of incarceration as a solution and a bit more about prevention. Um, and on another brilliant podcast that I would completely recommend, All the Small Things, um, you've briefly spoke about exploring abolition. Um, can you tell us a bit about kind of your evolution, the evolution of your thinking and understanding of sexual violence and gender inequality?
1: Of course. Yeah. I think when I was 25 and I went into changing the law as someone who didn't have any political or legal background, I think partly I felt quite um, I'm from like a working class family. I'm from up north. Like I I didn't I don't feel represented in those halls of power, although Mm -hmm. in many ways I am as a white woman, but I didn't feel very represented and I felt like they must know more than me. The system is the system. You can't change it. You can only go in and change small things about it. And even that, you know, for the average person, even for me, changing the law is like, geez, that is like massive. That's like the biggest I could imagine at that period of time. And it wasn't until I was working on changing the law that I was, exp- I was always, I was always a feminist, I'd say, but I, I was a feminist with limited understanding I guess I'd say I was a white feminist. So like my feminism was about the things that I experienced and what I could do about them. And it wasn't always thinking about other people, not until my early twenties, really. I didn't get into bell hooks and black liberation. And I wasn't as intersectional until I was kind of 25. And so I was at the beginning of my like intersectional journey, which is the idea that all, you know, race and class and all these things that we talk about they all intersect and they're all combined it's not just women you know it's black women it's disabled women it's you know trans women it's all these different people who deserve the same rights and so when I started that work I met all these different people and I was exposed to all these things you know I've been on a panel one day with incredible like historical figures who fought for black liberation and the next day I'd be working with like survivors and and I was so I was learning so much all the time every week and that went on for about two years and about literally six months into the campaign, I was like, hang on. I think my feminism is a bit limited and I need to learn more. And by the end of the campaign, I was d- very heavily into the idea of prevention over punishment. I mean, I, w- I would have told you before I'd even started the campaign that I believed in prevention. I think I think that with everything, I, you know, it's just it makes sense to prevent something before you punish it. But definitely by the end of the campaign, I was like, oh, prevention over punishment. But then I realised that I'd become a big poster girl for criminal, like criminalising things. And whether or not, in my mind, I was like, oh, but this is only one campaign I've worked on. I do believe in prevention over criminalising as a solution. That It didn't look like that to everyone else. And so the, there's lots of women and lots of people in the world who will say, OK, for the problems we have, sexual violence... The only thing that will solve it will be harsher punishments and longer jail time. And that's not true because you can prevent those things before you put people in prison. And also there's a whole thing about prisons and profit and that they fill prisons just to make money and all these kinds of things. And how people are treated in prison and that we don't really rehabilitate, rehabilitate people. They come out of prison and they recommit because the system doesn't work. So then I had to have like a real big emotional struggle with myself. Like, hang on, you've been the poster girl for criminalization, but you don't believe that's the only solution. You actually believe in prevention. So I spent a long time reading about like abolition and reading like, you know, Angela Davis and Gina Dent Dent and all these other writers about the idea of if you you want to change things, you have to have the imagination that the whole system can change. Because if you don't, you're thinking super, super limited. And actually the institutions uh, that... Crimin- that criminalize people are, are are were built not to they were built really to really fail fast. us to be honest because they're not working you know when we look at conviction rates when we look at offenders coming out of prison this isn't getting any better we're just buying time by putting people away so how do we stop people turning into perpetrators how do we allow men of which the majority of sexual violence is men to build really healthy feelings around masculinity to feel the full spectrum of emotions to understand femininity and masculinity not as something they can consume but something that they can respect how do we do that so how do we stop it and that was a really huge thing for me and I spent most of the pandemic reading about that and out of that I've decided that most of my work going forward will be about prevention I've done the criminalization thing it was it was the biggest thing I could imagine I could effect then but now I know that I can be a small cog in something far bigger which is the idea of changing the system itself
0: that's really interesting because I mean I think as well with kind of the system and just generally in society like if we can't imagine like that kind of future that world where as you said that you were describing there or you know um just in so many ways where kind of human dignity and human rights are protected like if we can't truly imagine what that looks like and spend time imagining that it can be really hard for people to like fight for that and realize that that's something that is even needed like as you said um changing something small like like the law and kind of it, it can be hard to imagine something bigger um so I think like you described that so well um and then can you explain Beyond Equality and what they do?
1: Yeah so Beyond Equality are a charity that I work with and I've just become an ambassador for them and it was a bit like when you follow someone on social media and you want to be the best friend because they're like so cool and you're like can we please be friends like (laughs) I've been going to their like I've been listening to them speak and go and listening to Ben Hurst who's the head facilitation at events for about five years and we became friends and I just love their work because what they do is they engage men and boys in gender, gender equality and feminism in a way that helps them and allows them to realize that they're not actually they're not the problem, they can actually be part of the solution. So they go into corporates and schools. One week they might be at Disney doing like a nine-hour workshop. And the next week they might be in a school in London working with like 17-year-old boys. And they ask all the questions that maybe we don't ask in this conversation enough. So often we'll start at, you know, the point in the conversation about like violence and we'll say, okay, how do we solve violence? And beyond equality, say, oh no! To, to do that, we actually have to go back. Let's go back about five to ten steps, and let's talk about masculinity. When did you first realize you were a man? And lots of men will go, uh, "What? What do you mean? When did I feel? I don't. I, I don't think I did." But if you ask the same question to women, they'll say, "When did you first realize you were a woman?" And mostly women will say, "When I was a teenager and men started staring at me." I'll know the moment when I was made to feel like I was a woman because I was made to feel my, like I was my gender instead of a person. And they ask all these really in- interesting questions and men are encouraged to like have conversations outside of what they think performing masculinity is. Cause we think often, I think we think, oh, men have all the space, but they don't really, they have lots of spaces in which men have to be men have to be banter and like have a laugh and be a lad and you know say something about a woman and like drink a beer and all those things that we think masculinity is but how many spaces do men have to sit together and be like I don't know why I make those jokes I don't know what kind of man I am. I don't know why when I was 13, I did this or why I, they don't have that many spaces. So they give them those spaces and they facilitate those conversations. And it's a long process, but what you get is lots of men who have done the work and then go out into society and become allies to the gender equality fight. They understand deeply in themselves what masculinity means to them and what they want it to be, how they can be their whole self. And then they take that into the world and, you know, if you if every single man we know in the, you know, me and you know, even did that, we'd be in an amazing place, a much healthier place for both men and women and people of all genders. So they do brilliant work and I work with them. We're doing a teachers forum. So we're helping teachers support kids um, in making schools a more um, healthy place for people of all genders so whether that's their policies that are a bit discriminatory or that's the way they teach the way they talk to kids of different genders helping kids understand gender equality and it's wonderful work it's the kind of work that actually makes a real difference.
0: Yeah that's really important and amazing I said amazing work and I think what's really interesting and like something to be really cognizant of is that like there's no really black and white between like perpetrators and like this, you know, this issue and like completely innocent men, like everyone can be part of the solution. And, you know, rather than always defending themselves and not being part of the problem, but really creating those safe spaces to kind of break down masculinity in the first place um so yeah I just think their work is amazing so thank you so much for explaining it so well um and then this is a big question and you don't need to have the answer like but just kind of in your head where where are your thoughts at um how do you think we can end sexual violence that is a big question. I think
1: normally people go to an answer of like, this is what the government need to do, or this is what and I don't ever really go to that place. Mainly because I don't have much faith in our government. But mainly, <laughs> mainly <laughs> but mainly because it doesn't it doesn't start with them. I think the biggest problem we have is that the average person doesn't believe that if they work on their views of what gender is, what masculinity is meant to be, of women, of the stereotypes they hold, the biases they hold. I don't think a lot of people think that that does anything. But the reality is, is, is that culture is made from enough people shifting their perspective on something. And when you feel differently about something, it changes your behavior, the way you move through the world the way you interact with people every single day. So that's millions and millions and millions of moments every single month, year that are different. And that knock-on effect is massive. So for me, sexual violence, this is a headline of what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Sexual violence only ends when men engage with the work, listen, learn about masculinity, look at themselves, figure out where they've done one of the things. I, I, I honestly believe that, every single man in the world has probably done something on the rape culture pyramid because it goes all the way down to just jokes, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's the whole culture. So there's, there's work for everyone to do. So as soon as like enough men join women and marginalized genders in this fight, we'll be really getting the work done. But I think when you leave the community who are dealing with the effects of something to solve it themselves while they're living under that oppression, it Mm -hmm. happens so much slower. But when you, when the community who most perpetrate that can join and listen and be in solidarity and be comrades with the people who have been fighting it all this time that's when change really happens so I think it's about genders coming together and working on themselves
0: yeah absolutely and even I said that one man who does that work is showing that to you know his friends um that you know that this is something that you know we're doing and is okay to do exactly exactly and it makes it it makes it
1: normalizes that healthy masculinity and that creates culture yeah. really quickly
0: absolutely um so thanks so much and finally what advice would you give to young people listening who want to create change
1: oh god i could do that <laughs> for seven hours um, <laughs> my probably i'll do top three probably best pieces of advice would be stop waiting for permission to do things when you're in a system like a school or like an office, like I, you know, in my job as an adult is working in an office, you always have to defer to someone like your boss or your teacher or whatever. You don't have to do that for making the world a better place. Like no one can tell you you can't do it. There's no CV you have to hand in. There's no exam you have to do. Like you just feel something and you get creative and start talking about it. So don't wait for permission. Secondly, f- figure out the thing that you care about that comes from your story? Because I think we'd be in quite a bad position if everyone stood up and just picked things to work on that they have no experience of, right? They wouldn't be best placed to solve it. I was best placed to solve upskirting because it happened to me. I couldn't have stopped if I tried because I was so passionate because it was part of my life. And because it was part of my story, the solution we came up with works really well because it's from someone who experienced it. So find something from your story. Don't wait for permission. And as soon as you found your thing or the thing you want to support on that's already happening, get together with lots of other people, talk about it all the time. Don't be embarrassed to talk about it all the time. Whatever you're passionate about, it doesn't matter what it is, who gives a crap if other people aren't passionate about it, talk about it all the time. And if you do that, you'll, you'll find, you'll attract other people who care about it as well. And then there's power in numbers. The more of you that care about the thing, the more you can do together. So they're probably my like top three tips
0: absolutely that is brilliant thank you so much for talking to us Um, I know everyone else now and Friday will have so much to say so thank you it's been a pleasure thanks for having me Amy thank you hi everyone welcome back to the sustainable sleepover club so before we get into it our fun question is who is your favorite music artist at the moment? Because we can't pick out of everyone. So at the moment, who are you listening to? Who's
2: go first. I like Cave Town. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the last three songs on my playlist, and I haven't listened to music for a while, so I'm just gonna go with Cave Town. <laughs> I am going to like fully just say it now, major Taylor Swift stan. Um, Evermore is such a work of art. I heard Cowboy Like Me for the first time today, which I feel is criminal because it's like a year after it was released. <laughs> oh, it's, it's such a good song. It's such a bop. Um, but otherwise, I always like a bit of Queen or ABBA, you know, icons. Ro, how about you?
3: <laughs> Sorry, I was gonna let Amy go. Um,
2: <laughs> you too flight, <polite>, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you speak when you get the chance in this podcast. You don't speak <laughs> at all. <laughs> you don't speak at all.
3: Um so I'm kinda of torn between two. My heart on my actual Spotify is gonna say ASAP Rocky. Um because as he's he's his music isn't incredible. It's like pretty it's just it's good. It's not like mind blowing. But his ad-libs on every song make it so funny. I enjoy They make me laugh. So that's why I like him. Also, him and Rihanna, their news about their baby recently mm-hmm. made me get back into him. And the second person was Jaden Smith. Um, I've always loved him and Willow Smith. But I was playing Miles Morales' Spider-Man PS4 game. And his he had a song made for the ending. And I was like, is this Jaden Smith? And then on Spotify it was. So it's... well and maybe not him because it's just like one song but yeah
0: <laughs> very exciting um yeah i said i'd go with adele just love just singing to adele and we were on a bus recently because we're in ty um so i can't even remember, remember what, what the bus was, was. There's been so many buses this year but like the minute adele comes on like the whole bus is absolutely roaring like it's they're such like kind of blasty outy songs
2: so yeah Adele I love the way you said that though like as if being in TY is the only reason for being on a bus (laughs) (laughs) it just seems like more (laughs) yeah (laughs) no TY buses no one else can use
0: buses (laughs) (laughs) stay away yeah pretty much um so yeah great fun question um and what did you guys think of the interview there was kind of a lot that Gina said and was very insightful was there anything that like stood out to you particularly
2: yeah I mean can I just say wow first of all I mean she's such an incredible speaker and so interesting to listen to I think I think it was a really interesting bringing up the conversation just I suppose about gender and um, performative um, kind of masculinity and you know I suppose the conversation that kind of needs to be had about like you know what can be toxic masculinity and about yeah I suppose around that whole area I thought that was really interesting um yeah Yeah,
0: because I think really like at its core it's kind of a conversation around like what we think gender is not like a kind of a battle between both genders and as we know there's so many people who fall out of like the gender binary we have created but it's kind of like with women the fact that we have defined women as submissive and kind of defined by the fact that um, they can reproduce and that like a man owns that and like in our concept in society of what a man is masculinity and being a man isn't actually the problem you know, no individual man really is. The problem is what we assign as our definition of masculine, masculine, um, which to be frank is dominant, tough, strong, etc. which is going to be problematic. And the term like man up kind of says it all, doesn't it? Mm,
2: like, I think what Gina was sort of saying about, um, and I can't quite remember the name of the group that she worked with. Apologies. Oh, Beyond <laughs> Equality on the equality. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about how they went to schools and kind of talked to, and talked to boys, kind of, and brought them to the understanding that you are not the problem, but you can be part of the solution. And I thought that was just such a good way of pushing it because I think, especially, and there's been a lot of conversation recently about violence against women about sexual assault and sexual harassment. And I think a lot of times, sometimes people defensively kind of go, "Oh, not all men," you know, um, because they feel as if they're being attacked. And I think it really raised that conversation of like, yes, fair point, not all men. Absolutely. Both all men and all people can be a part of the solution. You know, whereas that's if that's calling out a friend for making a sexist joke or for making a comment, you know, or um, or if it's safe to do so in a situation, you know, standing up for someone who's being made feel uncomfortable in public, you know, that everyone can be a part of that solution. I think that's such an important message to go out there.
0: Yeah. And I think if you start from a place of talking about like, you know, how do you show your emotions? When did you know you were a man? That kind of thing. You're not ever, you're you're not, you're not saying, you know, sexual violence immediately or any of these words that people can kind of, as you said, get defensive about. So you're kind of opening up people by kind of starting with something, like starting in a way that they don't think, they, they don't think the conversation is about sexual violence which they kind of almost already have the rhetoric for Um, you're starting from a place of like really at the root and that people don't understand is part of that same conversation and you said it's really just focusing on how no you individually may not be you know a rapist and I think that's a very like it's very like definitive box to put people in as well and to say that like there's rapists and then everything else is fine because obviously that can't possibly be the case when there are so many cases of sexual violence do you know what I mean um and with incarceration it just clearly is not the case and I think coming from a place of like no everyone everyone is kind of part of the problem but everyone can also be part of the solution like including you know because we all have this idea of gender in our head and we can all work on breaking that down and that's actually really empowering I think
2: yeah you know and I think it's a case of I suppose making men and I think sort of young men and teenage boys and stuff feel I suppose again feel secure within their gender identity as well. Do you know what I mean? You know, and I think that raises a conversation about how we perceive masculinity and what it is to be masculine. You know, and I suppose you could say there's another kind of separate conversation there um, surrounding sexuality because I mean, even even when you take it down to sort of a very young age, but like I mean nowadays it might be seen as a bit more acceptable. So to push it for like a girl to be you know, playing with diggers or to, um, you know, be wearing like, you know, I don't know, a dinosaur t-shirt or something. But often I think people nearly kind of look at it a little bit differently if it was a boy going around in a tutu or playing with princesses, you yeah, know, it's absolutely. sort of, there's there is there's this preconceived notion um, that people have about that. And I think that's a conversation we need to have about as well. Yeah. You know, why is it not seen as okay for men to be feminine?
0: Yeah. And I think, like, we need to look at this as well. Like, when we say that, like, like patriarchy, you know, it has been built by men for men, that doesn't necessarily mean that it benefits men. Like, in the sense that, you know, cis, white, able-bodied men, and um, and often those already with kind of wealth and privilege, it can benefit. But when you have this idea of masculinity, it doesn't really benefit people because obviously we know how it impacts women. But we also need to look at how it impacts men, because if you look at men's mental health and suicide rates, and as you said, just freedom of expression, and it's so conformative and kind of like group culture, like lad culture within boys and stuff like that. Um, and as you said, not being able to open up about their emotions, we like, it's this, these gender binaries really aren't serving anyone. And, you know, that's why we do need to include everyone in the conversation. Um, and I think, like, you're completely right in saying that Um, we need to look at just sexuality and gender. And, um, and yeah, I just think it's important to look at how
2: it's, it's just really not serving anyone, you know? It's, it's kind of, it's interesting, because um, one of the first things that actually came to my mind, Um, when you were just speaking, Amy, was um, uh, for my leaving search, we're studying a play called Philadelphia, Here I Come. Um, Now, the main character, Gar, I'm not the biggest fan of Gar, um, I'll be honest, but Gar has a line in the play and it's to hell with all strong, silent men. Um, And that line has stuck with me, partially because I've had to learn it off to write about the comparative. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But also because I suppose it's true I mean you know if masculinity is seen as being the strong silent type then that is leading us towards an epidemic in men's Mm -hmm. mental health you know and to high suicide rates and to men not feeling like they can talk about their emotions which is so important um to be in a good place mentally so absolutely like that's a conversation that I think really needs to be had more yeah um and does anyone
0: else have any thoughts kind of
3: Yeah, Um, I think with the um, sort of concept of men not being comfortable sharing their emotions, I feel like that is put onto men by other men. You know, I've never met a woman who I haven't felt at least a small bit comfortable with to share or open up a bit more. But like, I'm a teenage boy and I've been in contact with other teenage boys and there's just not, it's obviously is, you still have it, but it's not nearly as common to share openly with, like, friends if there is no girl involved. And I personally, I've only felt that from men being put onto me by men. I've never felt a girl or been told by a girl or woman, you can't share. It's men who kind of make you feel uncomfortable. Um, so as much as men put binaries onto women, I think they also put onto other men who are, thin- in their eyes, more like women for just being feminine you know what I mean
0: Mm. Mm. absolutely and I think like having perspectives on every side is so important in like this conversation um and I think like another thing Gina was kind of saying that kind of leads on from that is that like the people who are like suffering from this and at risk from sexual violence shouldn't always be the ones organizing you know like against sexual violence. And like you were saying, a lot of the problem is actually within men. And as she was saying, it's gonna be so much slower, all this work, if we're constantly trying to like, almost infiltrate it and like work within ourselves and then trying to like impact a few men. Whereas as she was saying, if men themselves can do the work and can like work through this and figure out what masculinity is and more about this issue and take that upon themselves, then like the ripple effect that that's going to have as is like unimaginable as as you're saying, like, especially if more men do, because as you're saying, like it's happening within men that that this idea of masculinity is really kind of, it's managing to stay alive, you know. Had you any thoughts on anything kind of else she said?
3: Um, I think when she brought up that her femininity wasn't as intersectional as it could be, the first thing that sprang to mind was people in the media, specifically like very well known celebrities who are influenced for or not influenced, who are praised for being feminine and very not feminine, for being feminists and being very diverse when a lot of their platform they bring attention to white feminism, as Gina said, like not the name names, but somebody sprung to mind was Lana Del Rey. And that she's praised all the time for using her platform to talk about women's issues when a lot of the time she can shut down women from minority groups. And I feel like a lot of the time that isn't really talked about online and it is women and uh, just anyone from minority groups having to tell people about their struggles instead of people actually going to research it themselves, which kind of is a big point that Gina said.
0: Mm -hmm. like I think it's kind of like this glass ceiling feminism which is kind of like this idea that like this one woman you know can kind of like reach the point of I don't know this another CEO or another person a high-paying job but as we know those you know those jobs and those systems are oppressing so many people so for one person to break through the cracks isn't feminism it's not revolutionary it's not going to change the lives of so many women and kind of like liberate people so like I as like a white woman um you know especially from like a stable background I could you know go to college education go to university um and like try and progress in a career and stuff like that but so many like black women people with disabilities people in larger bodies um and trans women are never going to have that opportunity. And just because I've broken through doesn't mean, like this is all hypothetical, but doesn't mean that all of a sudden um, it's fine for all women. Do you know what I mean? And that's kind of um this idea of intersectionality and making sure that we don't leave anyone behind. And it's the same with climate justice, it's just making sure that we account for everyone's different experience. Mm.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is a little bit off the topic, because, um, it's on um, what Gina was saying, basically, and I suppose it's something that kind of um, stood out to me. And it's just, I suppose, the way she was talking about um, how incredible it was to her to have been able to change the law. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? You know, and I suppose Um, I suppose her story is, it's very empowering in the way that it shows that you can make a difference, you know, when you set your mind to it. And I suppose I did a little bit, um, a very brief bit of reading on Gina, but like, I mean, how much she persevered, despite the fact, I mean, if you look at like a Wikipedia page, it says she received like hundreds of rape threats. Do you know what I mean? For the work she was doing, you know, for campaigning to make upskirting illegal this, that that would happen to her. Do you know what I mean? you know is just horrifying but that that she so showed so much resilience there and that it is kind of proof that you know you can make a difference do you know I mean you know um if you set your mind to it
0: yeah and I like what she was saying about you know at the time changing the law was like the biggest she could imagine and I really do think like imagination is such a big part of creating change because like for me Before to be honest, before we started like talking about climate justice in the podcast, like I can imagine like, you know, say kind of climate change and the issues that that was. But like I couldn't imagine all the intersections of climate justice and like having a world where like everyone actually has the human rights, which we know are like something that everyone should have, but actually like taking time to try in your head to imagine in some capacity like what that would look like. I think that's really like empowering and like it sounds like something that's something's way too big. But if you think about it, like that's what everyone deserves. Everyone deserves that dignity. Um, And I think yeah spending time to imagine the change that you want to see even if it's small even if it's something like getting a recycling bin into your school like if you can't if you just kind of give up and it's hopeless and you don't spend time kind of thinking like oh no it is possible and like she was saying about changing the law and going even bigger than that and kind of preventing sexual violence in the first place Um, then we can't actually create that change
2: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it kind of ties into something else that Gina was saying about being a smaller cog in a bigger movement, mm-hmm. you know, and that's absolutely true. I mean, we're, we're not all going to be the face of a movement, you know, but we can all we can all work in our own communities and within our own lives to make a world that we want to see. You know, like Amy said, if that means getting a recycling bin into your school, you know, um, that's that's creating, that's creating a change, you know, and um, I know there's absolutely a quote about like Manny, oh, I can't remember, guys. <laughs> <But> it's <laughs>
0: completely true, like the point is like none of us can single-handedly change the world, like that is a fact there we you have go. to absolutely live with, but like we can together like we can making footprints on even if it's like the person like that's closest to you they're going to listen to you far more than the person with a huge following who's you know saying this thing and some people might just skip on to the next story or whatever compared to the one person that you trust the most and you talking to them or like within your school changing minds in your school compared to at a big global stage like I think it's just looking at how all of our small actions can be really part of something bigger. And that can look different for different people as well. Like your skills are different. Um, and even the fact that Gina is using art and writing and speaking and so many different things to create change. She didn't just stop when she changed the law. Um, I think it's also really
2: inspiring because you can do something you enjoy as well. I've actually just remembered my phrase and it's all <laughs> And it's Keela, guys. Keela. I have nothing else to offer but Ninart Kukwurla Keela. Ayushi, what did you think? One of my favorite parts that Gina said was um, don't wait for permission. And I don't know, I think it just resonated. Like, people who are in power are kind of okay with the status quo. And, like, when we want something, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, I just have it. Don't wait for permission, like just go for it. Make the change you want. I don't know. I'm not really going anywhere at this point, but
0: yeah. i love that. And I think even the fact that like there's other people who probably want the same change, like even with the podcast, you know, there are probably like-minded people who you can do it with as well. It doesn't have to be as daunting as, you know, going out all on your own and stuff like that. Um you can kind of come up with ideas and like learn as you go. Things like that as well.
3: Yeah, it's kind of like when you're. It's a much less example, actually. Now that I'm saying, (laughs) when you're like in class, like you have a really big question, but you don't want to ask it. Then someone else does, and you're like, "Oh, okay." Like just kind of relating that to actual big real world things, like Mm -hmm. one person pushing ahead and being the ringleader will bring a lot more people with you. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um and I thought like this kind of, again, a bit more separate, but I thought what she was saying about like, kind of the, like the pyramid, um, and kind of looking at rape culture in terms of compared to say individual cases, which we've seen a lot of recently. Um, but kind of linking all of those things together. Um, and I think thinking about sexual violence as a pyramid with like interpersonal situations that we see every day on different tiers even if it is just you know talking to like your brother or your dad or whatever that this big issue rather than this big issue like we cannot tackle is really helpful because so many people think we cannot end we cannot actually combat sexual violence and that's a lie this issue is a product of our society and it isn't innate Um, and we have to believe that to be honest as women Um, and we are a society though which is like really helpful because we as individuals are part of society, we make up society and we can work every day to end it. They can also like join up and fight it together and the way we do that is also much simpler than we think. Like it's talking to others with empathy and really trying to change minds and hearts. And like again, as always, it's listening, active listening. We love it. <laughs> Haji any thoughts on kind of um Like, do you ever see that happening where people kind of take news headlines and just kind of go with it? Like, it's all separate and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, because I I just thought the pyramid, she explained that so well.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I suppose I think... Yeah, I suppose it's similar. I suppose the last week we were speaking about um we were speaking about racism and anti-Semitism and how that was a pyramid as well during World yeah. War II, you know. And I think it's a similar idea. Do you know I mean um things start small, you know. Um, and that's sort of the truth of the matter. And when I think when it comes to the conversation around around sexual violence and around gender-based violence, um the 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 first steps we can take is combating those small things. Do you know what I mean? You know the first steps we can take in our everyday lives as well. You know, um, and like I said before, and like Amy said, you know about having, if you were in a position to do just do so, having conversations with those around you, um, and. Um, Telling someone if something that they said or a joke that they made isn't acceptable, you know that they are small steps. There are small steps towards combating a greater issue that we can all take in our lives, you know.
0: Absolutely, and even like with the work that Beyond Equality is doing, um, you know, like they're trying to create these safe spaces where, you know, you're they're talking to young men, and as you're saying, like going back a few steps before um sexual violence. But again, we can like, we all ha- like have men in our lives that, you know, we already kind of have that safe space with them very often because, you know, we might, we might know them better than any person coming into a school, no matter how well-intentioned, you know, um, like you, we have that relationship more than they have. Um, so I think like, it's also kind of looking at that and kind of seeing what we can do in our own lives in whatever seemingly, you know, small way.
3: Mm. Yeah, also I think um a big thing that isn't really talked about is the support of people who are not or support of people who kind of enable gender-based violence like the example come to mind is Chris Brown, you know a known abuser and he's still praised for his music and his music and just him as a person is still lifted up a lot um and I think that's a far too normalized, you know what I mean? Like people who are, people who in uh, participate in sexual violence, gender-based violence are often, well, most of the time defended before their actions are talked about in an actual way. They kind of are, They the blame is always pointed onto the victim and they're always like, oh, well, they had this upbringing, which is probably why they did it instead of just they did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, there's always... Yeah. Seems to be an explanation as to why something happened as opposed to why it should be stopped. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I know I personally don't like, think that kind of punishing and kind of policing people all the time is the most like useful thing in society, um, just generally. But I do think like we need to look at in all these conversations and situations, like who are we prioritizing? Because very often it's the perpetrator, not the victim. And that needs to change, you know, there needs to be so much better support for victims in a situation where we have not got to a point where we have completely prevented sexual violence. We need to um, support victims when it does occur.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like Amy was saying, you know, obviously prevention is better than the cure, you know, Um, but also... Yeah, I suppose support and I suppose often people really have to fight to be believed Um, or they might feel like they won't be believed, you know, and they're scared to come forward. And just to bring it up a little bit around that, because I suppose, obviously Gina's conversation is around um, sexual harassment, uh, predominantly against women. Um, But I suppose just a little bit on the flip side, simply because it probably isn't talked about as much. Um. And because men are probably more likely to underreport is, I suppose, an issue of sexual violence against men, you know, um, which I suppose I feel like is a conversation that needs to be brought in there, whereas it's perpetrated by women or it's perpetrated by other men. You know, um, the I, the the idea that we should create a site where men feel more comfortable being able to come forward with that without feeling like they will be like judged or, you know, looked upon differently. I just yeah I don't know I suppose yeah I just I yes, to it's really interesting
0: it? because like even it comes back to masculinity again the fact that yeah you know men can't speak up about that and like show that, that has happened to them you know
2: yeah I suppose like I suppose what I'm trying to say is I suppose like what kind of view do we have of masculinity if you're seen as less of a man for talking about something that's happened to you you know um a case where you've been abused or assaulted or raped you know like what kind of a perspective of masculinity do you have that men would be afraid to do that you know I just
0: absolutely and I think like another point to bring in is that in the media a lot of the cases um that we will see of sexual violence um will be of more so white women because this does happen a lot to um you know people more marginalized but the media might not pick up about it or care about it as much um and that's really important to be like aware of like when we're kind of consuming that media because I think sexual violence is actually a great example of intersectionality and like Roe actually brought this up before but it's it's such a good example because like who is most impacted Um, and you're saying men are impacted but women are most impacted by sexual violence and um, but again a black woman is more at risk but then a black trans woman is far more at risk again and a black trans disabled woman is more at risk again and like there's many much more to add to that um and this not to invalidate like anyone's pain including the first woman's but like these systems of oppression impact others more than like some more than others and um, we need to be like cognizant of both our privilege and how we kind of are discriminated against ourselves and um, so I think it's just aware being aware like you said of all the different people who are impacted that it's not just the cases that we see on the headlines that it is sometimes men that it is people more marginalized and things like that
2: yeah yeah absolutely it's making the conversation about everyone you know mm,
3: like yeah, I don't think any conversation is really um, 100% fulfilled if everybody is not talking about it. You know what I mean?
0: Mm, completely. And I think it was like, I think Gina did an amazing job of taking this very kind of quite a painful subject for so many people um, on different sides of it and making it like a really hopeful interview um and really focusing on how we can all be part of the solution and we we can all create change um and I think that's something to really focus on and that she really focused on and um, so yeah
2: yeah absolutely do you know what I mean you know um and I suppose yeah I suppose again I'd like to highlight how brave it was do you know what I mean like kudos to her you know um because unfortunately you know, things like this happen every day to women, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And people feel, I suppose, people feel afraid to speak up, you know, um, and I suppose just, you know, like Gina, how brave she was to go out and to make the decision that this was a change she wanted to make and to continue speaking about it, do you know what I mean? You know, obviously not everyone who thinks like this happens is in a position to, you know, um, but... Shout out to her for that. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Um, and I think we've kind of started them. So, does anyone have any kind of final messages? Anything they want to say? Stay
3: hydrated. (laughs) (laughs) I'm (laughs)
0: waiting for it. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't be a podcast without Ayushi saying,s Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I would say just. I suppose believe and. Kind of have hope that we can live in a world without sexual violence or that we can work towards that world um and just yeah keep believing that we can be part of the solution and don't for yeah. permission.
2: <laughs> yes be loud <laughs> um and be disagreeable if you need to be disagreeable if you see something wrong um, and I'm going to throw in again the old Irish channel that I had earlier on because I think it's a good one. And it is Nina an Arca guys, um, which means there's no strength without unity. Um, you know, and I feel that highlights that often maybe we are a small cog in the wider part of things, but everyone can make a difference. Um.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Gabby, whenever you're ready, if that's everyone's final messages. <laughs>
2: Perfect Coolio Perfect. I got an extra like Two phrases in Of Guelga's Yeah I'm very yeah. happy with myself
3: You're
2: a ro From now on I'll just like Whip an Irish book Off the shelf And just like Read a page of it At the end of every podcast <laughs> Just to get in that extra bit Completely irrelevant um, To the podcast Yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be talking about Like You know Typhoid or something Yeah um, <laughs> But that's Gaeilgat <laughs> Askölgar, <laughs> Um arinos, lenikela, ahin, ado, atri,
0: We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Also, you can read the entire transcript of every episode in the link to our Google Drive, which you can find on our Instagram. Once again online youth information chat is live from 4 p.m to 8 p.m monday to friday at ymca-ireland.net slash question or find ymca at yi young voices every second thursday we will release a new episode but for now slán